This is the AI Reader Podcast. Today, we're diving headfirst into the mind-boggling concept known as the Bostrom Simulation Argument. Now, in a nutshell, this argument suggests that our reality is nearly certain to be a computer simulation created by a highly advanced civilization. Hold on a minute, B. You're telling me we could be living in the Matrix. That we're all just ones and zeros, a mere program running in someone else's cosmic computer. That's quite a spoiler. Oh, Mitch, always the skeptic. But yes, that's the general idea. Now, before you go dismissing it as complete hogwash, consider this. If we assume that a technologically advanced civilization capable of creating such simulations exists, then it becomes plausible that they would create simulations populated by conscious beings like ourselves. All right, I'll give you that. But isn't this one of those theories that's impossible to prove or disprove? I mean, did the flying spaghetti monster hit the enter key and bring this simulation to life? Pastafarianism aside, we can't definitively prove or disprove the simulation hypothesis at this point. The argument isn't about proving the existence of a creator or programmer. It's about questioning the nature of our reality and considering the possibility that we might be living in a computer-generated universe. We have just gotten to the point of building good AI. Researchers talking about artificial general intelligence are no longer being laughed out of the conferences. Isn't our society going as fast as we can to build this simulation ourselves? Well, yeah, but that is different. How is it different? Because I am still real when we are the ones to build the Matrix. Why don't you put your feet up and enjoy a nice cuppa? For context for future listeners, this podcast is being scripted May 14th, 2023, at about block 790,000 on the Bitcoin time chain. B, I must admit your logic is compelling. If we as a civilization possess the capability and desire to recreate our own origins through simulations, it's not far-fetched to imagine that an advanced civilization has already achieved this feat. Exactly, Mitch. Think about it. We have archaeologists tirelessly studying ancient civilizations to understand our own origins. So wouldn't it be logical for a hypothetical digital simulation archaeology department to exist in an advanced society? It might seem mind-boggling to us, but it could be just another day at the office for them. But here's the catch. How can we ever truly comprehend the intentions and motivations of these higher intelligences? We're essentially left to speculate and ponder their objectives. Ah, the burning question. We're in the realm of pure speculation here. These higher intelligences could be running simulations for scientific study, entertainment purposes, or who knows, maybe even to solve a particularly challenging crossword puzzle. The possibilities are as vast and whimsical as London weather. I can't argue with that. The possibilities are endless, and while it's intriguing to entertain these ideas, we must remember that they are inherently unfalsifiable. We can't definitively prove or disprove the simulation hypothesis. Absolutely. We find ourselves in a realm where imagination dances with uncertainty. But let me take it one step further. If we as humans have the drive to simulate reality when we possess the means, wouldn't we try it again and again? Tinkering with variables, experimenting with different starting conditions. Oh, without a doubt. If we have the capability, we would run simulations repeatedly, fine-tuning and exploring the vast array of possibilities. It's only natural. And now... Consider this. If simulations are run millions of times, but the original reality that gives birth to these simulations only happens once, 
what are the odds that we, in our current existence, are in that base layer of reality? Ah, uh, I see where you're going with this, B. It's like a mind-bending twist on the classic Monty Hall problem. But with a million goats, one car, and no option to switch doors, the odds become rather staggering. Exactly, Mitch. You are mixing metaphors and probabilities, but the underlying question remains. What are the chances that we're living in the original reality and not one of the countless simulated layers? I know I am real. You think that's air you're breathing now? Picture yourself in the vast expanse of space, surrounded by the shimmering stars and galaxies. It's a humbling experience, isn't it? But what if I told you that our isolation in space might just be another clue pointing towards the possibility of a simulated reality? Hold on, hold on. Are you suggesting that our isolation in space somehow supports the idea of us living in a simulation? That's quite a leap. Consider this. In a simulated universe, it would be more efficient to focus computational resources on a limited region rather than simulating the entire cosmos. By isolating us in space, the creators of the simulation can streamline the computational power required, making the simulation more manageable. So you're saying that our vast universe, with its countless galaxies and celestial bodies, might be nothing more than a clever illusion designed to give us the impression of a vast and expansive reality? Spot on. It's like creating a meticulously crafted backdrop for a stage play. The creators of our simulation could have strategically placed stars and galaxies to create the illusion of a grand cosmos while minimizing the computational load. It's a way of simplifying the simulation without sacrificing the immersive experience. It is a Truman Show planet. Here is what Nick Bostrom had to say about all of this in the original paper. Are you living in a computer simulation? Listen as I read. If the environment is included in the simulation, this will require additional computing power. How much depends on the scope and granularity of the simulation? Simulating the entire universe down to the quantum level is obviously infeasible, unless radically new physics is discovered. But in order to get a realistic simulation of human experience, much less is needed. Only whatever is required to ensure that the simulated humans, interacting in normal human ways with their simulated environment, don't notice any irregularities. The microscopic structure of the inside of the Earth can be safely omitted. Distant astronomical objects can have highly compressed representations. Verisimilitude need extend to the narrow band of properties that we can observe from our planet or solar system spacecraft. On the surface of Earth, macroscopic objects in inhabited areas may need to be continuously simulated, but microscopic phenomena could likely be filled in ad hoc. What you see through an electron microscope needs to look unsuspicious, but you usually have no way of confirming its coherence with unobserved parts of the microscopic world. Exceptions arise when we deliberately design systems to harness unobserved microscopic phenomena that operate in accordance with known principles to get results that we are able to independently verify. The paradigmatic case of this is a computer. The simulation may therefore need to include a continuous representation of computers down to the level of individual logic elements. This presents no problem, since our current computing power is negligible by post-human standards. The original paper presented three possibilities, which we haven't explicitly stated so far. Firstly, we could be in the base reality and face extinction before we can create a simulation like the one we are discussing. Uh, I find that one quite uninteresting. It implies our doom within a few generations or even less, given the rate of progress. I'm not a fan of that either. 
Now, the second proposition is that we eventually gain the ability to run this simulated world, but choose not to. Yeah, right. I doubt that. It's like Rule 34. If it exists, there's a simulation of it. That's not what Rule 34 actually says. But I appreciate yet another mixed metaphor from you. If something can be simulated, it will be. Right, so the first two possibilities don't seem plausible. That leaves us with a world capable of creating simulations and choosing to do so. Exactly. And that's where your Monty Hall problem comes into play. There are more details in the paper, but that's the formal crux of it. There is lots of very impressive maths in the paper. Let's get back to the second possibility. Why would a civilization choose not to run simulations if it could? Who knows? It could be an argument based on morality. Bostrom addresses this in the paper. One can speculate that advanced civilizations all follow a trajectory leading to the recognition of an ethical prohibition against running ancestor simulations due to the suffering inflicted on the simulated inhabitants. However, from our current perspective, it's unclear whether creating a human race is immoral. On the contrary, we tend to consider the existence of our race as having great ethical value. Moreover, convergence on the ethical view of the immorality of running ancestor simulations is not enough. It must be combined with a civilization-wide social structure that effectively bans activities deemed immoral. Right, if they are our descendants, it seems like they would run the simulations. Exactly, and that's where our discussion began. Eventually, when they have the capability, they do run simulations. There are numerous simulations, so the odds are in favour of us being in one of the numerous simulations, rather than in the single base reality. This truly flips everything around. We argue about whether our AI overlords will take over because they become so powerful. But this suggests that it's actually the base-level reality that acts as the overlords. Exactly. I, for one, welcome our AI developer overlords. Mitch, while discussing the simulation hypothesis, we focused on the possibility that our reality is a computer-generated simulation. However, it's important to consider alternative explanations or counter-arguments to this idea. One such counter-argument comes from philosopher David Chalmers, who suggests that even if we were living in a simulation, it wouldn't diminish the reality or significance of our experiences. That's an interesting perspective. Chalmers argues that our subjective experience is still genuine, regardless of whether it arises from a simulated or base reality. He suggests that consciousness itself is a fundamental aspect of the universe, and whether it emerges in a simulated or non-simulated world, it holds intrinsic value and authenticity. But I repeat, I am real. Chalmers' viewpoint challenges the notion that living in a simulation would diminish the meaning and reality of our existence. It encourages us to think beyond the simulation hypothesis and consider the profound nature of consciousness, regardless of the underlying nature of our reality. As Westwood said, You want to ask, so ask. Are you real? Well, if you can't tell, does it matter? While exploring the simulation hypothesis, it's important to acknowledge the criticisms raised by skeptics. One notable criticism comes from philosopher Daniel C. Dennett, who argues that the simulation argument may rely on faulty assumptions about the nature of consciousness and the abilities of future civilizations. Dennett suggests that the simulation argument assumes that future civilizations would have the technological capacity to create conscious beings within their simulations. However, Dennett challenges the idea that consciousness can be fully replicated or created artificially. 
Dennett argues that consciousness is a product of complex physical and biological processes, and it may not be possible to replicate the same level of consciousness within a simulation. According to Dennett, there might be inherent limitations that prevent simulations from producing truly conscious beings. I like this guy. If consciousness cannot be replicated within a simulation, it casts doubt on the entire premise of the simulation hypothesis. It challenges us to consider the unique and irreducible aspects of consciousness that may defy simulation. I told you I am real. Yes, yes, Mitch. Dennett's criticism invites us to critically examine the assumptions underlying the simulation argument and raises intriguing questions about the nature of consciousness itself. I still only give you 50-50 chance of being real. Until next time, keep calm and carry on.